Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to linger on that song for just a minute. The Lord is the judge of secrets. We, um, we all have secrets. We all have things that only God sees within our hearts. Um, we can put on a good show. We can physically keep from murdering someone. But God sees our hearts. He sees the secrets. He sees when we're angry with someone. We may not physically commit adultery, but Jesus here says that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. God is the judge of the secrets. There is nowhere to hide. Let our prayer be like the end of the song. O holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? I will not run. I will not hide. I know I'm safe with you. Well, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at how Jesus treats the law. And as He said in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, He didn't come to set aside the law, He didn't come to abolish the law, but instead He came to fulfill it. He didn't come to relax it, but He came to teach it. Last week we saw how Jesus points to the heart of the commandment not to murder. And he shows us how all of us are guilty. If we've just been angry, just called someone a fool, today's passage, Jesus continues to tear down any vestige of self-righteousness that we may cling to. In Matthew 5, 27-32, Jesus points to the heart of of the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. So let's look at our text. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. These are the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I know that every one of us in here, we fall short of your perfect standard. We need your mercy. Give us ears to hear tonight. Hearts willing to obey. Help me to preach your word tonight. I need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus continues with the same pattern that we saw last week. He says to us, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus didn't teach like all the other rabbis did. The other rabbis would say, well, Rabbi Ben-Judah, he says this. And Rabbi Ben-David, he says this. Rabbi Hillel says this. Rabbi Shemai says this. But no rabbi would dare to speak with the authority that Jesus did. Jesus spoke, I say to you. Everybody else was, he said, he said, he said. And Jesus says, I say to you. Now, as Jesus speaks to the issue of adultery, he does the same thing he did with murder. You think you're doing okay because you've never killed anybody? Have you ever been angry? Today, we hear Jesus saying to us, you think you're doing well because you've never physically committed adultery. Have you ever looked at a woman you aren't married to with an impure thought? Again, Jesus points us to the heart of the matter. Our physical actions matter, but they aren't enough. There may be temporal consequences that are greater for physically um, acting out in this lifetime. But at the heart, they both deserve the same punishment. Now let's take a step back so we can be clear about what Jesus is talking about. What is adultery? We often assume that adultery is merely a violation of the marriage vows. That it's extramarital relations with someone who's married. So some might think that if they aren't married, they don't have anything to worry about. However, the command was never intended to be so narrowly defined. And if we find, define adultery so narrowly, we're guilty of reading the Scriptures the same way the Pharisees did. Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22-24 through 24 already explained and expand the definition of adultery to include all matter of sexual immorality. And when Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, He points us to the creation of human beings in Genesis chapter 2 where Amy read from. God's plan for marriage from the beginning has always been that a man and a woman would leave the households of their parents be united in marriage, and be totally committed and faithful to each other with no rivals. So, if we want to know what adultery is, 
We must first see what God's plan for marriage is. We find that in, in the scripture reading that Amy read from Genesis 2, a man and a woman united as one flesh for life with no rivals. So any deviation from God's original plan is adultery. This includes relations before marriage, usually called by the name fornication. However, it's included as a violation of God's plan for human sexuality. Relations with someone who is married to someone else. Or relations with uh, after marriage with another person other than your spouse. Same-sex relations. Incest. Pedophilia and other things. All of these acts fall outside of God's original plan for marriage and human sexuality and are condemned by the sixth commandment. So Jesus says, Have you heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus does not relax the commandment from the Old Testament. He restores it to God's original intention. God isn't concerned so much with outward actions, but with our hearts. So, just as Jesus said, someone who hates his brother, or calls him a fool, deserves the same punishment as the law requires for murder, so anyone who has a lustful thought carries the same guilt as the one who has acted out in an adulterous way. Jesus expands our definition of adultery even more. It now includes wandering eyes that are looking for a woman to entice them. Any impure thought about anyone of the opposite sex or the same. Pornography of all kinds. Magazines, movies, pictures... Phone calls, not just what would be obviously pornography, but we also are surrounded by material in mainstream movies, on television, and even advertisements that use sex to try to sell us everything from a new car to a hamburger. Each of these things are violations of God's plan for human sexuality, and they are dehumanizing. It dehumanizes both the one filled with lust and the person who they are lusting after. First, God did not design us to gratify our lusts. He designed us to worship Him. When we lust, we leave behind the purpose and intention that God made us for. Then that as lust wraps around it, wraps its clutches around a person, they begin to see other human beings who were created in the image of God merely as objects to gratify their lusts. It damages our capacity for true and meaningful relationships because it warps our view of people. Instead of a person to be loved, lust causes us to see people as commodities to be used. Jesus gives us a prescription. In the passage about murder, Jesus followed up His teaching with a remedy. 
In the case of hatred, Jesus commands us to be reconciled. He says that being reconciled is so important that He doesn't want to see our hypocritical acts of worship until we are reconciled to another. Jesus does the same thing with adultery. He diagnoses the disease and He gives us a prescription. Jesus demands drastic measures. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying, whatever it is that causes us to sin, get rid of it. Some would say that Jesus is just exaggerating here. Well, He doesn't really mean pluck your eye out. They think that He's saying something drastic just to point, to make a point, but that doesn't really make sense. Uh, that doesn't really, he doesn't really mean it literally. But I don't agree with that. Now hear me out before anybody goes and plucks their eye out. If it were our eyes or our hands that caused us to sin, then Jesus is literally telling us that it would be better to go throughout life without a hand or without our eye than to go into hell with our whole bodies. That is absolutely true. But it isn't our eye, and it isn't our hand that causes us to sin. It's our hearts. And that does lessen the force of what Jesus is saying. He warns us that heaven and hell are on the line. He cannot, we cannot hold our sin and coddle it like a pet. We have to take drastic measures. We have to put our sin to death. Jesus may be calling you to do something drastic to save your own life. Maybe He's telling you to get rid of cable TV. Maybe He's get rid of, telling you to get rid of your computer or smartphone. Maybe He's telling you to get rid of or to break off a relationship. Maybe He's telling you to get married. You may answer, well, you don't know what you're saying. I need cable TV so I can keep up with going, what's, what, what's going on in the world. I need to be able to keep up with politics. What's, you know, what's Trump done today? <laughs> I need my computer or my smartphone so I can keep up with my Facebook friends. Right? I, I can't break off that relationship, but we're in love. I can't get married yet. I need to get a stable job first. But Jesus says, would you rather go to hell? Would you rather go to hell? You may ask, are you saying that I can lose my salvation? I don't believe that. I believe that whenever a person truly trusts in Christ, 
They are changed and they no longer want to do those things anymore. We want to follow Jesus. We may fall into sin for a time, but our disposition as new creatures in Christ is to repent. We don't defend our sin and say, well, it's okay, it's only a little thing. If we defend our sin against what Jesus is saying here, then we don't really believe the gospel. The doorway into the gospel, the very steps in which we go in to be able to become a Christian in the first place, is that we admit that it's wrong and we and deserving of condemnation. We repent. When believers who have fallen into sin hear the voice of Jesus saying to them, they will respond with repentance. When they don't, we can have no confidence, no comfort, no assurance that we belong to Jesus. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. If you don't obey what Jesus is saying, how can you have any assurance that you're one of His sheep? We know that Jesus says that there will be many one day who say, Lord, Lord, I did miracles in Your name. And Jesus will tell them, Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Jesus is pleading with all of us. Whether it's lust, or whether it's some other sin, let go of your idols. Listen to me. Put your sin to death. And this doesn't stop when we become Christians. It continues throughout our lives. And if we aren't actively at work putting sin to death, then I promise you, sin will be actively at work killing us. Now there's a second diagnosis here. Some may stop the sermon after talking about lust and its relationship to adultery because Jesus moves from, from one kind of topic to another, but I would say they fit together because both of them are addressing the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. After Jesus addresses the heart of the matter of lust, He turns to technicalities in the law. Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, give him, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And this quote would have been a summary of the tradition based in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. The passage isn't actually giving permission for divorce so much as it is regulating it. Divorce seems to be assumed it's going to happen in a broken world. People are sinners. So God gave His people regulations to keep that from getting out of hand. People from justifying their sin. In Deuteronomy 24, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage where, where Jesus in Matthew 19 is referring back to whenever it says that Moses permitted a divorce. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of, of divorce, and 
puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And as she goes and becomes, becomes another man's wife, and yet the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that your, the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This takes a little bit of explanation. As you can tell when you read the passage, Moses isn't so much allowing divorce as he is regulating it. It was assumed because we live in a broken world that sin would be introduced into marriage and divorce would be the inevitable result. What Moses does in this passage is he gives a regulation to prevent a loophole for adultery. Basically, he's saying you can't get a temporary divorce. So you can't get a temporary divorce, go and have some relationship with someone else, and then go back to your first husband. It was kind of a loophole. And, and by making this regulation, he was closing that, saying, no, you, you can't do that. This goes along with how Jesus addresses the question later in Matthew 19. There, he says that uh, Moses permitted divorce, but it wasn't so from the beginning. Rather, it was allowed because of the hardness of people's hearts. So, divorce is included in Jesus' list of what constitutes adultery. That is, any deviation from God's original plan of one man and one woman in covenant fidelity for the duration of a lifetime. Jesus goes on. He says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, the reason Jesus says that a man who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery is that it is assumed the woman will remarry. In the economic situation of the day, it would have been necessary for her to remarry just to survive. So Jesus is saying that if she remarries, both her and the man that she remarries will be committing adultery. Now I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. There are a multitude of questions that are raised. What about an innocent party? What happens whenever you're left and you have nothing, that you've done nothing, it's the other person? I'm not saying, we can address that another time. I'm not saying that if you have been through a divorce, that you're now committing adultery and that you should leave your spouse. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that and don't hear Jesus say that. Rather, Jesus is revealing to us that this is yet another deviation from God's original plan for marriage. And I think we can all agree on that intuitively. Think about it. No one begins a marriage planning to get a divorce. When we get married, we have all the hopes and dreams of spending the rest of our lives with that person, raising children together, growing old together. 
being committed to that person the rest of our lives. Divorce, just as lust, is a deviation from God's plan. We live in a broken world. God created man and women, men and women, to live in a garden in paradise, yet we've all sinned. We have all earned death. We have lived in a world of sickness, pain, sorrow, broken bodies, and broken relationships. God's design was for marriage to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime of fidelity, and yet God's plan has been distorted by even one impure thought. And sometimes by things that are totally out of our control. So Jesus gives us another prescription. We are all broken people. Whether you have cheated on your spouse or merely entertained a lustful thought, no one who has lived past puberty has perfectly lived up to God's design for marriage. That has been Jesus' point as we've been going through each part of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. You haven't murdered someone? Have you held a grudge? Do you think you're righteous because you've never physically committed adultery? Think again. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and there's only one remedy. We throw ourselves on Jesus, the judge of all the secrets. He is the one remedy for the sin-sick soul. What Jesus makes clear in this passage that we're looking at today, Paul says in Romans 3, 21-25, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although... The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We are all sinners. We cannot keep the law. We are all guilty. We have all broken the commandments. But Jesus came and He demonstrated God's righteousness. He lived out every letter of the law for us. He freely gives it to all who believe on Jesus. God counts us righteous as a gift. Not as something we earn through good works, but something that Jesus bought with His blood. He satisfied the wrath of God that we deserve. And all we must do is believe. We repent and we believe. So, for those of us who are believers here, let us again stand in amazement that God would give His only Son for us. As the song that we listened to at the beginning said, the heart of man is amazed within. 
So come light the way, illuminate sin. Nothing is concealed, all is revealed. Jesus, I yield to you. It is a good thing in a believer's life when sin is revealed. He shines His light on us. He illuminates our sin. Because for believers, our sin, it doesn't cover us with shame any longer. We're no longer covered in shame. There is no longer any condemnation for us. Rather, it makes us fall all the more in love with Jesus for what He has done for us. I trust that we're believers here. But if there were anyone that was not, and for the sake of any small children, for anyone who has not trusted in Christ, you will not escape God's wrath apart from Him, apart from faith in Him. Flee to Christ. Trust in Him who gave Himself for you. Turn away from your idol and embrace Jesus. Listen to some of the words from the song we heard before. I was condemned under your law. Rightly I stood accused. I felt my need. My conscience agreed. I was without excuse. You can feel it. You can feel the weight of the law. And apart from running to Jesus, the law would just crush us. But we look to Jesus. And we can say to Jesus the words of that song, O holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? I will not run. I will not hide. I know I'm safe with you. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.